Thank you for tuning into this teaching. We hope this message blesses you. Our mission as Marigold Church is to do anything and everything so that anyone, everyone can encounter the real Jesus. We hope as you listen to this, you encounter the real Jesus. Let him transform your mind, transform your heart, and encounter you today. As we hop right back into 1 Peter, let me just do a quick recap on what we've covered so far. Just kind of highlights. If you'd like to to get the more in-depth portions of it, you can also go back and listen to those messages as well. But we're going to start in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, where it talks about our salvation is preserved. It's preserved. Our salvation, our this eternal prize that we look forward to, has been preserved. It's also been proven. The scripture talks about, especially in, in Peter, and right here he, he goes through how, how this has been proven. It's also been predicted. Last week we got into something different as we started covering 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. We started talking about the perseverance of hope. We got into the persistence of wonder, and then we kind of stopped with the power of love. You know, in verse 22, it says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. This is a real love. This is not an affectionate love. This is this is a just is a sacrificial love. This is a love that you're loving beyond you. It's not it's not what's convenient anymore. You're having to go out of your way to love. And this is the kind of love that we are called to. And so, uh, we're going to go into chapter 2. In chapter 2 verse 1 it says therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies. Why does it say we're newborn babies? Because we've been born again. We've, we're, been, we, we're first born in the flesh, but when you receive uh, Christ, when you uh, receive uh, the gospel and you, be, and you believe it, you receive it, you're born again. You're born again. You're born again spiritually. It says long for the pure milk of the word. What is this? This is spiritual food. Just like a baby, when, when they're first born, they crave milk. They crave that new milk. They want more. Why? Because it's sustaining them. It's helping them grow, and, and they long for it. You don't have to teach a baby to drink milk or to crave milk. It's a natural desire. They cry for it. They may slumber for a little while. They may sleep, but when they wake up, they're crying. They're saying, I want more. I want more of this milk. And so it says, so that by, uh, along for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tested the kindness of the Lord. We're going to go into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as he, we, we look and discover the praises of Christ. So just as a recap on those, there's four. The perseverance of hope, the persistence of wonder, the power of love, and the praises of Christ. Verse 4, and coming to him as to a living stone. And this idea of coming to him or, and the stone, is it's, it's not just a coming and visiting, it's a coming and staying. It's making your home in this place. It says, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. 
you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to pause there for a minute. You know, Peter is writing this, and, he's, and he uses the phrase living stones. Well, living is something that, you know, it has life to it. It's a moving thing. It's something, but a stone is something that's planted, right? So that you have life, and you're, you're doing something, but you're not moved. Remember, Peter went from the name Simon, which meant a reed, and a reed can be blown easily with the wind, but now he's a rock, and he's planted. Well, you know what? He's calling us to be these living rocks that were planted, but we're not doing nothing. We're doing something. We're living. And verse 6, for this is contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Who's this cornerstone? This is Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, what is the cornerstone? The cornerstone is where everything from there is built. If you have this massive building, in those times, it was going to have a cornerstone. From there, everything is squared off. Everything is leveled off. It's the standard stone. Everything is built off of that. It is the firm foundation. Everything points to that stone. It's that one reference. Just like when we're looking for a direction, we would want to know where is the North Pole, right? That's kind of the cornerstone for direction. Well, Jesus is the cornerstone for the direction of our life. This, this precious value then is for who, you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So what what Jesus was meant to be this cornerstone to these people, they rejected it. They said, no, we have our own standard. We have our own direction that we're going to go in, and they rejected him. So it was outcast, but then it becomes a stumbling block. It becomes a stumbling stone. So now they're going along their path, and what happens is they, they have to stumble across Jesus. You know, when we come before God at, and at the end of our life, we're going to stand before God, but guess what? We've got to go through Jesus. And where he was, he could, as our cornerstone, he could be our redeemer. But as a stumbling stone, he's our judge. We are judged according to this cornerstone. We're judged according to that standard. What was that standard? Absolute perfection. Jesus was absolute perfection. He was flawless in character, flawless in nature, absolutely perfect. That is the standard for a holy God. Jesus lived a perfect life and then shed that life. That is the standard. So he can either stand in our place as that perfection. You know, when Jesus, or I'm sorry, when God looks at you, when you stand before him, if you are a believer, you stand before God in perfection because Jesus took your place. So now you are standing in Jesus's perfection as a joint heir with him. And so everything that was paid for now it, that was for Jesus, guess what? You are a part of that, a joint heir. 
and as we go as we go further, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. In verse nine, but you are a chosen race. I want you to hear these words carefully: a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. All these terms that he uses, royal priesthood, chosen race, a a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, all of those are how he looked at the, the people of Israel. Well, Peter's using this terminology to show us, hey, we are joint heirs in this. You know, I've got to be, I've got to be honest, I was always guilty when you look at certain books in the Bible, you see it in the Gospels, you see it in, uh, you know, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, and you see all these genealogies, right? That's the part where so-and-so behat so-and-so and begat so-and-so, and, and you, you can't pronounce half the names, and so it's frustrating. You're like, oh, this is just a big list of names. And what does this have to do with me? And what does this genealogy have to do with me? And, and I can't pronounce these people anyway. You know? And so you'll skip that part and, okay, I'm going to get to the good stuff. Well, you know what? I had to kind of repent on that. I had to have a different frame of thinking on that. Because when it comes to the Gospels, they give this genealogy. And how it, for Jesus, it goes all the way back to Adam. But you know what? When we are joint heirs with Christ, that is not their genealogy. That is the, not their tradition and not, you know, kind of th- what their upbringing and their forefathers. No, wait a minute. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the bloodline of Jesus now. So guess what? I'm, when I'm reading those names, I'm reading my bloodline. I'm reading my bloodline all the way through Jesus and David and Seth and all the way back to Adam. Man, those are, that's my family. Why? Because I've been adopted into the family of Christ. And when Peter's using this, this language, he's saying, hey, you are now grafted in. You have been drafted. You've been adopted into this family of Christ. Uh, And and I'm going to continue. Verse 9. So that they may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's talking to believers. If you are a believer... This is what you've received. You've received mercy. You've received a being a part of a family. And if you believe the gospel, this is yours to have. This is yours to receive. And, and when I'm, I'm not talking about riches and, and, and having money and, and, a, and, a, and a bigger house and a faster car. That's not what I'm talking about. There, I'm talking about true riches. You know, you can have the, uh, the, all the nice house and, fa- and car and all, but if you don't have a family, what good is it? What good is it? Now, God's saying, you know what? I have not just given you a family. I'm giving you my family. And that was God's intention. That was God's intention from the beginning. He was building a family. Now, let me ask this question real quick, and I wrote this down. Why did God choose to give this gift and responsibility of sharing God's gospel to only one small group of people, the Israelites, in the first place. 
Have you ever asked that? Like, why, why did God pick this family, this family of Abraham and then his descendants, the Israelite people? Why them? What is so special about them? Well, you know what? It wasn't that it was there was something special about them other than they had faith. They believed. But why did God choose to have a covenant, a, this, this relationship with one small group of people? This is why. God was not trying to just disperse things to people. He was trying to build a family. That was his goal, was to build a family. That was what Adam and Eve were. That was a family. This was God building a family. God had a son. His name was Jesus. And he said, you know what? I want more of this. And Jesus being different because Jesus is his son by blood. We are not, we are a creation, but by the sacrifice and by what God did, we could join in with this, with this blood, this blood uh, covenant with him. Now, remember, he makes the covenant with us. We didn't, there was not a joint agreement here. He covered it in full. And a covenant is not just a promise. It's not a contract. This is God saying, hey, these are the terms. Will you receive them or reject them? If you receive them, all of this is yours. I'm supplying you. I am your always. I am your, your Jehovah. This is your Yahweh. I'm everything that you need. And so this is what he does. So in building a family, God could do it one of two ways, okay? And you, you tell me, if, you, if any of you have kids, you might understand this, or if you've had any dealings with kids. If you want to keep the peace and yet keep everyone separated in a classroom or in a family, and you have, let's say you have five kids, okay? You have five kids in your family. You want to keep the peace and kind of keep them separate and out of each other's business and you do your thing 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 and number five, you do your thing. You buy five candy bars and make sure they're the same and you give one to each one, okay? That, but that doesn't build a family. That still keeps them separate. But if you want to build family and you want to build character within the family, you hand a bag of candy to one of the kids. From there, you give them the responsibility and say, I want you to share this with your brothers and sisters. That's what God was doing. He was giving this sweet promise, this sweet covenant to one group of people and saying, it's your responsibility to get this to everyone. That's what he was doing. He was building a family. God is still building a family. Now, once that, once that group of people began to reject the bag, he said, you know what? I'm going to disperse it to everyone. Everyone's going to be in my family. Okay? Well, this, is, this is for everyone to have. Okay? That's what it is. It's God saying, I'm building a family here. So, and just remember, you have not just been saved from something. You've been saved to something. So you've been saved from the penalty of sin. And right now, if you're being sanctified and, and you're working this out and you're working this out within yourselves uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're being sanctified. Now you're being freed of uh, and you're being saved from the power of sin so that eventually you can be saved 
from the presence of sin. And we went over that, but I always think it's really good to, uh, to go over that as well. So in verse 11, we'll continue. Beloved, oh, I'm sorry, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Why? Because he's saying he's talking to us because we're if you're a believer, you are now a citizen in a kingdom called heaven. So as we are here on earth, we're strangers and we should look different. Okay, if you see someone in your country who looks different, they're going to stand out a little bit. Wow. They talk a little bit different. Wow. They 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 don't say the same. They don't use the same kind of uh, words that I use. They don't dress the same. They're they're different. Right. Because they're strangers. They're aliens. That's the way we should be in this world that we're in. It says further, it says to abstain from fleshly lust. And this is not just talking about sexual lust. It's talking about anything in our fallen nature, which wage war against the soul. So let me read that in full sentence without breaking it up. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. What is this? This is a picture of what sin does to the soul. Sin wages war on your soul. It's a description of the destructive power of sin. And that's why sanctification is so important because it's breaking the power of sin. In verse 12, it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 13, submit yourselves to the Lord, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, rather to a king as, as the one in the authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Let me stop right there. We are to be subject to the people that God's put over us. It doesn't matter if they're right or they're wrong. And now if they're asking us to sin, we have a higher authority called God and God's authority. So we don't have to honor them in sinning. But if they're asking us to do something right now, we've been in the in the covid, this epidemic. You know what? They're asking us to to wear masks, to to be social distancing. You know what? It's inconvenient. It's, you know, it's not the best thing sometimes. And, it, and you know, some, there's, it, does it work? Does it, does it not work? You know what God's saying? You know what? It's not asking you to sin. Submit to that government. Submit to that thing. And then it says, or governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. What is that? That's describing the police department. So this idea of defund the police does not jive with first Peter, let me repeat that. Defund the police, you know, uh, you know, do away with the police, shut the police down, all that is not a biblical idea. It's now, are we are we to um, stand up for right and when there's injustices? Yes, but this idea of throwing out the baby with the bathwater does not fly. It is not biblical, so don't fall in to that trap. We want justice, but we want God's justice, the only true justice. In verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering 
for evil. Now, this is a warning, okay? And I'm going to read where in Hebrews it gives us a further warning, maybe a, a harsher warning. Now, Peter is writing 1 Peter, and Paul, I believe, wrote the Hebrews, okay? So it says, uh, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. In other words, once you're a believer and you say, hey, I'm going to heaven, that is not a free pass to start doing stupid things. That is not a free pass to be a sinner and to act like a sinner. We are to be sanctified, not sinners, okay? There is, we cannot try to play both ways, okay? Because you will get burned, let me put it to you this way. In Hebrews 10, verse 26 through 31, this is what it says. This is in the New American Standard uh, Bible. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think we will deserve who has trampled under the, underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine i will repay and again the lord will judge his people it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living god we have spoken many times about the mercy of god but the mercy of god is meaningless if there is no wrath of God, we sometimes we get so wrapped up in God is only love and God is only peace and God is only grace and God is only mercy. There is a, a, another side to that. The reason God's mercy is so grand is because when he gives it in, in looking at it, we we're looking at it in contrast to his wrath where he could destroy you, he chooses mercy upon you. Where he could give you what you deserve, which is death, hell, the grave, he chooses to give you mercy. But it's all based on repentance, this, this returning, or this, this uh, repenting, this turning away from your sin, this having this mind change about sin. Uh, in, uh, I'm going to continue, but, it, but use it as bond slaves of sin. So don't be an abuser of grace. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. In verse 18, it says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This is our bosses. This is the people in authority at work. Uh, verse 19, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards, a, uh, uh, towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it? 
with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So when you are doing the right thing and you suffer for it, and you're patient and you're, and you're just believing in God, there's something that this is a, this moves God. In verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, that word reviled means being verbally abused. So while Jesus was being verbally abused, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. We've been called to die to sin and live in righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. Verse 25, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. God is so good. Jesus is so good. The Holy Spirit is so good. I encourage you, keep reading in Peter. I hope you're reading along. I hope you're even reading ahead so that as we go through this, you will, these things will ring true and the Holy Spirit can stir these things up in your heart. Don't just take my word for it read the word of God. And you know what? Let it read you. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for my friend here who's being able to listen to this message. I thank you, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit just stirring this up in their heart as they move forward, as they go throughout the week and into the weekend and beyond, Father, that, Lord, that they would have a heart to follow you, to, to repent and turn and to change their thinking when it comes to your ways, Father, you're so good. You're not keeping us from something. Lord, you're saving us from something and taking us to something. And we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if this message or any of the content that we've been putting out has blessed you and you're wondering how you can partner with us in generosity, there are a couple ways to do that. You can download the PushPay app and you can search Marigold Church and you can give that way. You could also set up reoccurring giving and it's really user friendly. It makes it really easy to give. You could also text Marigold to 77977 and give that way. We believe God moves through a generous heart and so we would love to see what God does through you as you partner with us and as we walk through this journey together. Thank you.